I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Kia ora and welcome to another Aotearoa Rugby Pod. So much to talk about this week. We've got RTS coming back early. We've got the Lions, which of course we'll dissect in a great amount of detail because James <laughs> Parsons has spent his entire weekend watching it and re-watching it and re-watching it. And we've also got what is going to happen in the Rugby Championship in the Bledders Low Cup. Plenty to talk about. I'm Ross Carl. Joining me, Bryn Hall. James Parsons for another Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Let's start with RTS. I'm fired up about this. He is coming home early and we're going to see him play. When does he play for Auckland? For North Harbour. For North Harbour. North Harbour. Auckland, mate. For North Harbour. <laughs> um, when does he play? I, I suppose they'll want to get him into the environment as soon as possible. I don't think his transition will be as challenging as, say, when Benji came back. I think he, he had quite a, I suppose, a stronger schoolboy um, presence in rugby and then made the move to league so it'll be where he finds himself does he work um, his way in from fullback or on the wing because that's potentially a, a position where there's not as much change or, or do we see him in the midfield you know TJ Fayani obviously going to Japan it does create um, space and opportunity in, in, the, in the midfield there at Auckland. I think it's a great thing that he's coming back early as well. If we talk around the example around Benji, is he missed the Mitre 10 Cup, he had the opportunity to come to the Mitre 10 Cup and for whatever reason the coaches have just believed they'll get you in for the Super Season. And he, actually talking to him during that process, he said, I should have actually gone back and played in that Mitre 10 Cup just to be able to iron out a few things, get used to it, especially when he was playing at 10. Um, it's a little bit different. Obviously, RTS will probably might go into the fullback and winger role, which is a little bit easier than a 10, but it's a great opportunity for him to come back, get himself ingrained back into what he did. He did play a lot at school, played against him a lot. Um, so he does have that familiar familiarity of what it does to be a rugby player. But obviously, again, it's changed a little bit in his time when he's at school. So I think it's a great call for him to come back and great for Auckland as well. I think it's great for the Blues as well, because, um, you know, obviously the media hype, had he not potentially played this Auckland season, comes in mm. really heavy on that Blues preseason and, and going into next year. So I think it's it's awesome in that sense because then he'll have some runs on the yeah. board. People will know what, what he's about, where he's going to play, you know, because they would have seen it at Mitre 10 Cup level and then it makes him a little bit more of a seamless transition. Of course, there'll always be hype around Roger Tui Vasashek, mm. but I think to a lesser extent, um, having you know his, his presence in, in the Bunnings NPC. So you're the Auckland coaches, how do you work this? You give him a couple of weeks in squad, give him a bit of time off the bench, like how do you play this out? Well, he's coming back this week, hopefully. Mm. Yep, so I think he's gonna be have a bit of time getting him ingrained into the group and being able to give him a little bit, you know, one or two weeks to be able to understand what the terminology and what the maps are and taking a bit of time in that. Um, he does, he's quite fortunate he does have another week and then it's obviously next week, so 
I'd probably see him coming off the bench just to be able to um, get a few, you know, 20, 30 minutes to be able to play on the wing or fullback. And then throughout the duration of the season, you might change a little bit where he gets coming in and starting. But I think um, it does take a little bit of time to transition with just the maps. It is a little bit different. Talking to guy, even Duff, Matt Duffy, when he came back as well, just the understanding of like the different maps, the different roles within the position that you do play. It's a little bit different from 15 or 14 and then going into the midfield as well. So uh, probably a bench role to start with, possibly, depending on, you know, if there are... Um, other players here, there might be injuries, might do to him maybe start up a little bit earlier, but I think that Ben Troy will be able to come in and just find his way early in the competition. You both played with Duffy. Duffy, of course, was an all-black probably within two years of coming back. Mm. What did he say to you, Jipper, about the major challenges within those maps that he found in comparison to rugby league? I don't know if he talked to me about the, the transition of maps, but I think what he did say is, is his, him having the ability to take time to find his role um, you know, like he was, he was automatically expected coming out of the storm to yeah. be a leader. Um, and I think the one thing in the stance that he did take was like, I acknowledge that I've got a presence in, in that leadership space, but I think it's best for me and my rugby journey just to step away from those groups and really just knuckle down and nail my performance. And that'll be leadership on its own. And I think that was a big step in the right direction for him is to take all that extra pressure of a player in terms of meetings and leadership group and, and you know, um, holding people accountable. He wanted to, um, you know, I suppose, earn his stripes, so to speak, in, in the environments he went into. And then once he did that with a, with good performances and then making the All Blacks, you know, it made him um, quite a quite a strong personality in both Harbour and the Blues in, until he left to Japan. Yeah, I think some of the things he did talk around certain things was just a little, um, you take for granted as a, as a rugby player, like you just, if you're playing rugby your whole career, your whole life, then those are just those little things that happen in rugby that just come second nature to you because you're just so used to it. Those kind of things take take a little bit of time. So, you know, whether it be, you know, the last person arriving to a ruck, you don't have to go in there, so you don't have to waste all your energy to go there. Or it's the backfield cover of a pendulum, you know, wingers up or um, he's back in defence and seeing what the pitcher is, you know. So those little things, it takes a little bit of time, but um, obviously they've got a great coaching staff at Auckland and a lot of great players there to, to be able to upskill Roger as fast as he can. I think it's just really important that he has had the opportunity to go back and play in Auckland to be able to iron out a few things like Gyps said because the expectation when he does come next year, you know, he's a marquee signing for the Blues moving forward and you want to be able to best prepare him to go for that rugby um, championship next year. Sorry, the um, Super Rugby next year. I think it could be rugby championship too. Good good fortune telling. <laughs> um, uh, I think it needs to be a collaborative approach as well, like include Roger in the mm. conversation and, and the coaching group and, and iron out a plan that's going to work best for something he feels comfortable with and the coaching group because I think there would be a want to utilise him and, and get him out there because there's no denying his skill set. But like Bryn said, around those you know sort of intricacies in, in terms of back play and um, you know the way the game's managed, um, whatever role he plays, whether it's in the backfield or in the midfield, it's you know they're, they're some of the harder positions in terms of that. So I think making sure that he's ready to go when when he's out there, and mm -hmm. I think you know like you said with a bench role, we're talking about him having the ability to cover midfield, wing. You know it does suit a, a man in the 23-man squad to yeah. you know, sit on the bench and, and, and I suppose watch a game unfold and then impose himself late. Yeah. How many voices do you want in his ear? Because you obviously got what Auckland wants and what the Blues want and they're not necessarily the same thing and when a guy is learning a game or relearning a game 
you know, you don't want him hearing too many differing opinions on how yeah. things should run. I presume that probably Rangi, Leon and the Auckland coaching staff will have a pretty good plan around what that's going to look like. So um, you are right, there's going to be obviously a lot of info that's going to be coming at him from the Auckland coaches. It's going to be the environment that he is going to be in. But I definitely reckon that, you know, the likes of Leon and the, the, the coaching staff with the Blues will be able to connect with the Auckland group and be able to say, here's our envision, here, what we have envisioned for Roger next year. Um, but then again, Auckland might have something a little bit different where they might need to play him in, uh, in a position that he might not play at the Blues. But I definitely reckon there'll be a plan around um, the Blues in Auckland coming together and marrying up a plan for Roger to be able to make him best prepared coming for that champ for my, uh, Bunnings and Super Rugby next year. I think there's a lot of trust um, within the region, you know, the, the Blues, obviously the, the nucleus of, of Harbour, Northland and, and Auckland and the programs and, and what players are going back to and, and how they're provided and implemented. So I, I think, you know, they'll obviously have an opinion, but they'll also trust the Auckland environment to do what's right. You know, at the end of the day, Auckland want them to play well mm. and so do the Blues. So they're after the same end goal. Yeah. Um, and I think they'll see this um, as a, a bonus opportunity to grow Roger before getting their hands on him and getting a bit of footage and, and see how they can be coachable. But I think it'll be mainly within the Auckland environment that, that he'll hear from. There's going to be some bums on seats during the uh, Bunnings NPC. Yeah, hopefully, well. hopefully. He, he certainly, um, you know, even when he pushed himself up into that sort of sixth playmaker role for the Warriors, you know, you can see he has the ability to play in that front line, set up his outsides, but more importantly, his footwork and, and ability to turn half a gap into something. And, you know, even if he gets through um, you know, two defenders, his offload game is there from, from rug, uh, rugby league as well. So I think it's really exciting for what we can see in, in Bunnings if you, Yeah, and if you think around like counter-attack ability, that's massive in New Zealand and Bunnings, Bunnings as well. You know, he's going to be able to light it up in that, you know, you do the, have the kick battles and go one or two kicks here and there, and then you've just got the, the big boys in the middle. You know, imagine Rog being able to fly around there and being able to, you know, if I'm a pro, even as a halfback, you know, you get him one-on-one -on -one with the stepping ability. Um, it's going to be great for Auckland, and um, it's going to be great for the competition to be able to see someone with that kind of um, attacking ability. In the long term with the Blues, though, you've got a guy who, within the Blues structure, you know, when you look at the packed outsides and, and obviously Rico in the midfield, there seems to be a hole at 12, but a guy who also needs to be able to counterattack because that's one of his great strengths. Are they going to have to kind of come up with a fusion of roles for him? Oh, look, again, I just think it's going to have to unfold and, and see how he performs best because the, the best you want players happy where they're playing. And if he's comfortable and happy in, in that position, then that's where it'll be. But it creates competition. I've said it time and time again, the, the reason you know the Crusaders have gone back-to-back -back titles so many times is when one falls over, uh, another guy steps in and, and, and nothing really changes. So it's about having that depth in the squad so that you know, we're not reliant on one or two players. It's, it's that competition during the week so that brings the best out of the 23 that are chosen for the weekend. Hey, let's get on to the Lions. I know you're about it. You know, tell us, what was it like at the Parsons household? Were you up at three in the morning? Were you watching on the on the Mice Guy? No, no, sleep's important. You've got to get that sleep. So I was definitely watching on the Mice Guy. This is the All Blacks. It might be something different. But um, no, yeah, watched it in the morning. It just, you know, always exciting Lions tours, I reckon. It's like, um, I was trying to explain to my wife because I was obviously quite into the game on the on the couch and she's like man you're into this game like it doesn't even involve like any New Zealand side and I was like but the Lions are like yeah. you know there's a World Cup and then there's a Lions tour you know for, for us here in New Zealand every 12 years every four years mm. um, for the other two you know nations and it's just exciting to see I suppose all those nations combine into yeah. what I think is a pretty strong outfit and, and well-drilled side in the Lions and coming against you know I was just so excited after that South African A game 
to see South Africa play after so long, not getting to see them as world champions, and, and you can certainly see why they are world champions, the, the way they performed. Mm. Where was the winning and losing of this game? Oh, well, I think the obviously just with the game, a lot, a lot of kicking, um, a lot of Northern Hemisphere kind of um, play. So, you know, I thought the the South Africans did really well in that first half um, with their kicking strategy with, with Fafta Klute doing a lot of the kicks, not just box kicks, but different variety of kicks. And I thought the the Lions, uh, sorry, the Springboks defense was outstanding in that in that first half. And um, probably the Lions in that first half gave away a few penalties in the early part, even though they had eight penalties throughout the whole game. Predominantly that first half, they gave away the 12 points with, with penalty kicks. Um, and then I thought in the second half, you know, the Lions did really, really well around their kicking, like the likes of Price and when Connor Murray came on as well with the execution of their kicking game. Um, you know, a funny stack is, you know, there's a lot of kicks in the game. There was 37 from, um, from the Springboks and there was 28 from the Lions. But I found the ability that the Lions actually wanted to play a lot more footy. They had 132 passes where um, the Springboks had 77. So they actually tried to play, but when they didn't have the ability to play in as a good defensive line, they had great kicks from um, Bigger and through Connor Murray and Price as well to be able to marry that up. So that's what I've really liked to see, what I've liked to see from the Lions. They've got the ability, they, they do have that Northern Hemisphere style that we're so accustomed to seeing, but they do want to have the ability to be able to play and have opportunities to be able to try to score through the attack where well, obviously the Springboks, I think they just found like they wanted to play the position game, back their defence and probably their defence in the end with penalties. They had 14 penalties, which is probably the telling stat for the game. Uh, but yeah, I think the second half, they just came in a lot better with their kicking execution. And I thought their set piece as well, their more and their, their scrums came into the to the forefront in that second half and really um, imposed themselves in, in that game. The box were very happy to kick the ball out, weren't they? They didn't want to give them a chance. Yeah, I, th I think they were. Look, look, for me, the winning of the game was Alan Wynne Jones' mindset after half time and kicking to the corner. Mm. I mm. thought if they just took the three there, um, we were just going to go along the same. And, and he, he just changed the momentum, changed the, the, the psyche, I suppose, of, of the Lions. And, and them getting over for that try was, was massive. I know it didn't take them ahead, but it just it sent a message to me. Like that They were clumsy in the first half. Mm. and. Um, you know, I think they'll admit themselves, you know, there was that line out not straight um, and, and from there they kicked long, got a penalty turnover, that was three points. So a lot of the points were on the back of things the Lions could have controlled in mm. terms of Pollard's ability to go for three. Mm. Um, so, you know, sometimes in their line out guys didn't even get up. So it looked like a side that had been picked on form but wasn't cohesive. And I know we've used that a lot since speaking to Ben Darwin, but that's what it looked like. And then it's like when Jones just said, no, nah, no, nah. Alan when Jones just said, no, nah, I'm, I'm going for this. We're going to the corner. We're going to get the business done. And they did it. And, and that was sort of just the, the, the sort of turning point. And I think the kicking game, obviously, like Pollard, and, and Faf controlled it really well in that first half. Mm. You know, you look at the stats, it was, um, they had 57% possession, 58 territory in the first half, yep. compared to 40 and 36 in the second half. So you can just see the change in, in, in mm. the, the way they played. And, and it resulted, um, I suppose, in the Lions being able to pick away with more points, but also mm. get confidence off the back of it and put them under pressure. You know, I think Quagga, Smith and LaRue really struggled under Price's box kicks yeah. and, and I, I, put, I made a note in the first half, Lions were losing the contestable battle because they weren't putting people in the air mm. and you know every time the South Africans put it up they'd put someone in the air and force the Lions to knock it on or it'd be messy mm. and whereas the Lions would kick 
you know, big crossfield bomb from bigger, and, and they just wait for them to catch it and then tackle rather than getting in the air. And the whole con- point of the contestables is to make it a contestable, not yeah. to give that. And they really changed that. Yeah. My Van der Merwe really awesome. changed his mindset yeah. um, in the second half, and they utilised it really well and put Quagga Smith and Larue. And off the back of that, they managed to get momentum and territory and, mm. and pick away at points after the try. Mm. But I still think there were there were moments like you said they like to play. Mm. They've got to get that balance right in the, these test matches. If if you know if Colby doesn't knock that one on, that's they, they were just shoveling, yeah. you know, and, and a little bit wishful and and um you know eventually goes over to score, call back and from that scrum they get a crucial penalty at 67 minutes and they work their way up the field. But there were little moments in the second half and, and TMO decisions that could have gone either way mm. that could have taken this test match out of their own hands. So I think they'll be really happy with the win and, and probably feel, um, you know, maybe on the day they probably didn't deserve it after that first half. Yeah. And, and the best example I can um, give you of that is, you know, Price went to pass the ball to his forwards and it hits Laws in the back. You know, they're not even looking. And that just means they're not singing off that mm. same song sheet. Yeah, but I think they'll be much slicker and happy mm. to get away with the first you know, if it win, but they'll be much slicker come, come the second test. Might be interesting as well to see, um, obviously there's a real clear plan for the South Africans to be able to have the kicking battle with Fafta Clerk and Pollard as well. It'd be interesting to see if they do want to try Marriott up and go play a little bit more, because the conditions were really good, and well, from what I could see on TV, I'm not too sure, but it looked like it was pretty clear the ball was actually quite dry, so um, my biggest thing is, do they play a little bit more? Because when Fafta Clerk actually is what has the ability to be able to play on top of teams, we've seen test matches against the All Blacks when they've just been using their physical um, ball carries, great clean out, and Fuff's been able to play, get the quick ball, open up towards their backs. You know, Colby didn't really hear his name. Didn't feature. Didn't feature yeah. in the game, but due, due to the um, probably the the mindset of what the um, South Africans have with the kick-based game around Fafta Clerk. So um, I'd like to see them play a little bit more and giving guys like Colby and, um, and others, you know, and LaRue and Mopepe as well, when he did get the opportunity to, you know, did a great chip and chase which um, led to that try for Fafta Clerk so giving those guys opportunity I think a little bit more especially in conditions like that I'd just like to see them play a little bit more um, yeah they haven't had a lot of time together is this a gradual building of the tactics from the South Africans through this series we're going to keep it real simple in the first test and then we'll add something in the second and maybe in the third as well because they've had less time than the Lions have to figure things out yeah I, it looked like that in the first half I was like man they are just orchestrating this so well mm-hmm. you know just plugging away with with points winning that territory battle and and they just keeping things simple simple set piece then set piece pressure you know big defense you know arm rushed out of the line and put an absolute yeah. huge hit on early um I think you know um Itzabeth was was big and disrupting and making the lines mm-hmm. think and when they were attacking line out so it was traditional in that sense but they actually had more line breaks, so they they actually have the ability to play. And I think there were um, times on the edge, especially on Watson's edge, where where they broke. Yeah. And, and you mentioned uh, Fafta Clerk's try; that should have been shut down 60 metres back. Yep. Uh, they the ball Pollard passed that ball; it hit the ground, it rolled back, and they rushed up. And the Lions did a great job of a press defence, but they forgot that the ball was the most important. Yeah. Yeah. They were more worried about Mpimpi and Co rather than Peter Steff, who just sold Straight a dummy. Through. And goes, and then eventually, you know, it leads to fast try. But you know, I think their ball mindset is, is key, and also felt like that uh, Delandy got over the advantage eyes too easy because they were getting ridden in tackles. Yeah. So there are a couple of signs defensively for the Lions where I think you know the South Africans, in terms of their attacking um, yeah. mindset and prowess, that they'll see 
more opportunities to take advantage of that um, in the second test and maybe not be so predictable in terms yeah. of the over kicking and, and that territory based game. Because this one there as well, obviously Delende, Delende, yeah. he um you know he had was the top carry with 53 metres and he had like 14 carries, but like he only had three passes. Mm. So you know obviously he obviously one had a mindset around holding the ball, and being able to get over the advantage line and be able to um, gain metres like that. But we've talked about with Nani. Yeah, yeah but that's what I mean. The post contact metres, yes. like if they just chopped him. Yep. You get Watson and Curry over the ball, yep. beautiful, but the, the two guys are hitting up high, mm. then getting driven about 10 or 15 metres, then that's a one-man clean yep. because they're on the back foot. So that's, you, you've got two bodies attacking-wise and then they can, you know, they can kick on their terms. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So the, defensively, I think you know, the Lions need to, they know, like you say, three passes, they know what he's yeah. going to do. Mm. So just get him to the deck as quick as possible so that you can have a chance at the breakdown, which was fierce. Mm. The counter-ruck was almost like if you yeah. didn't have the ball, you were going to win it. Yeah, mm. They were a bit loose around that, weren't they? I think there was at least one time where Etoje got over the ball and his knees never got off the tackled player. Like, and he was just, he got the penalty and it was obvious that he was leaning on there. I thought they got away with a couple there. Yeah, yes and no. Like, I think, man, for a tall man to do what he did um, at the breakdown, you know, uh, LaRue counterattack and Quagga went down the blind side and he got his first turnover there. And obviously, from the line out, he gets back and gets a turnover. You know, I think it was consistent. I, I always think if you're consistent, right. and, and I think you'll agree with me as a yeah. player, you, you figure out where the boundary is early yep, yep. with a ref, and if they stick to that, then that's fine. It's never going to be the same picture each week. And I think both sides got the benefit. Of that, of that breakdown, yep. I suppose, flexibility. Um, but for Atoji being a big man to get yep. those two crucial mm. turnovers and then the third one at the end of the third game, time. he was massive. And the, the hit he puts on, put on Etzebeth around you know, the fourth minute, yep. oh, the tone, eh? man, Set he the was tone. just there. He was ready. Yep. Yep. He was in the zone ready to go. What I loved about the test match as well was an absolute test match. Like the, yeah. just the, the physicality of both teams, like the willingness of how their defence and understanding that, like we've got to win the physical battle, we've got to win the physical battle, you know. Itzabeth and the Toje, when they come head to head, you know, there was a time when Itzabeth actually drove a Toje back. And so, man, for me, seeing that physicality, like I think the depth of squad is going to be really important coming the second and third test because um, this how ferocious it is. It's going to be um, it's going to be tough for those boys to back up those kind of performance skins. So um, there could be injuries, and then I think the depth of the squad it is was, going to be massive. It was a game of two halves, though, and I know that's cliche, but I think the South African side were there, and that like the best example. I don't know if you remember when the Lions overthrew it, yeah, and you know that it's an overthrow. It's your it's your attacking ball. The South Africa don't. Khaleesi and Pollard won the race yep. to the gain line. Like they, to, to have that mindset, to get set, they didn't really, it was like played it, probably not tempo lineup, but it was yep. quite a quick process. They, they're getting set back 10 metres and they're on their toes, ready to go. Mm. And for me, that set the, the standard in that first half of where South Africa at mentally. And that's why I say I felt like the winning of that game was Alan Wynne-Jones going to the corner. It mm. just seemed to ignite them into accurate, play you know mm. they just were messy in that first half and yeah. you know in the end won the arm wrestle there's a bit of chat about it last week let's talk about Rassi Rasmus on a couple of things firstly seeing him in the waterboy kit <laughs> I understand it's within the rules but he is a world cup winning coach he is all but the coach by name you know he's the director of rugby that's not right is it right? There's no well. There's no real difference. If like a lot of team in our teams, like a lot of our assistant coaches are actually water boys. 
yeah. and our team. But he's, I mean, the head coach. He's a World Cup winning head coach. You, we, you've never seen anyone of that stature yeah, but run water. That doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. You know, like, if we had that mindset, you know, we'd never evolve. So I, I, I just think there has to be a, a clear balance because it can be a positive. But I think it can be a negative if you're trying to overcoach on game day mm. and, you know, you're trying to change things on the run and, and you know, guys are hyped up in a test match atmosphere. But I feel like um, from what we learned and heard out of the World Cup around how he inspires and motivates players, it could be quite a positive for the group out there having his presence. Mm. Um, so I, I don't think it's necessarily wrong just because of his title. I, I think, you know, if anything, he's, you know, down there trying to do what's what he believes is right for their environment um, and i think the reason that came about was maybe potentially because of the covid situation yeah. with the coach or I, I don't quite know but like they i think they've got some pretty strong leaders in their group and and they're not ones that i feel would just conform mm. you know i think they'd, they'd set the stand themselves so i don't think it's right or wrong they'll know if it's working best but i the one thing i look at it is it could if you start coaching on game day, I believe, you know, like you've got to be shutting the books, you know, probably 48 hours out and trust that the work's been done so that you're just doing yeah. clear mind into captain's run. And, you know, you've got to be able to play rugby on what's in front of you and, you know, on those instincts. Yeah. And if you're trying to be coached at the same time, I think it could be dodgy. But if he's just there from a motivational point of view and yeah. keep them on task, then I, I think it could be a point yeah. of difference. Because like, like I said, like uh, assistant coaches are actually now water boys as well. So, you know, obviously there's a head coach, but Collectively, a lot of assistant coaches actually do more work than the actual head coaches. So, you know, there's an advantage that has been probably happening for a long for the time that I've been at the Crusaders or even in Genuit Harbour as well. Mm. Assistant coaches are on that water boy scenario, giving us um, whether it be an attack, he's an attack coach or he's a defence coach. And so, having those conversations as a coach, it's, it's pretty normal for us players recently that we've had a, we've had a, had a coach, yeah, albeit not, and obviously not a head coach, but the assistant coaches do as much work as the head coaches. So. I think it's been happening for a long time. I suppose it's pragmatic and mm, it's thinking mm. outside of the box and those are all the things you want from a guy who's your head coach or director of rugby or whatever role he plays within this team. Um, you've got to have a guy I suppose is relatively fit, a guy who's yeah, got yeah. shape yeah, to run yeah. out there. Yeah. Not all the coaches are able to do that. No, no, they're not. And, and that's why you'll see a lot of our teams use players as well. Like yeah. if, if we use the Blues, for example, when we had DC and you know, Tana is our, our options, you know, they bring a lot of calm. They're, they're captains, you know, captain of the All Blacks, Tana, and, you know, a leader for a long time, Dan, and, and they they know what the big moment needs, yep. and that's what I'm trying to get at, is it's not about coaching, it's about making sure, you know, sometimes you'll go through 80 minutes, you won't hear from them, because they know that you'll, you're right, but then sometimes you will hear from them, and, it, and mm -hmm. it will be more of a side conversation with a leader, not so much mm -hmm. of a presence in the huddle. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, you'll see the All Blacks, I think Paddy was running the water yeah. the other day. So well. it's, it's about, they, they can keep cool, calm, and they're not having the pressure and, and maybe helping mm. the players out on the field. And one thing that that does as well, it's been able to like, because when you're on the field, you're in the heat of battle, and so you, can, you see it from just the view that you have here, you don't see it from the helicopter view. So it's really important, I think, the coaches be able to, that when they do come on, they deliver messages. It's great for us players to be able to go in this and say, oh, we're actually like, we think we're going okay, but saying like, oh, there's kick space. We don't think there's any kick space because we're, we're running and playing well. But then it's a it's a re kind of retelling you say like actually there's like one guy that's just sweeping the back and there's actually kick space all all all, all, all around so 
those communication things that come in from upstairs to be able to give from the assistant coaches and the water boys that like Jip alluded to, um, it helps us as players and it's probably um, a really big moment in games when massively you need that guidance from someone else that can actually see it from a different view. You have to understand the, the essence of timing as well. Correct. Like mm. When you deliver messages, yep. especially if they involve detail because Yep. You've got to make sure that you know it's been absorbed, but also it doesn't overwhelm players. Yep. Mm. I suppose on Rasi's point of view, it freshens things up for him. You know, Here's a guy who's been there, done that, won everything he's touched, basically, mm. and he gets to do something different in his career. Mm. That's got to keep a coach thinking and, and going. A little yeah, bit. and it probably mm. gives him a different perspective. You know, We're talking about from a player's lens. That, you know, he's been sitting up there mm. looking down. It probably gives him a different perspective and probably a, a really neat ability to review not only as leaders, but the squad and the composure that was shown in crucial moments because he was out there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. He knows what was being said. He knows the feeling. And and to be able to, you know, sometimes as players, because you're in the moment and, and, you know, you're in different mindsets, you might not remember it for what it actually was, but he's actually just calm, in a water boy sort of mindset, you know, like he's not over overly emotive, and he can, you know, sort of re review you based on that, yeah. and you can grow and learn a hell of a lot from those, probably more from that chat, yeah, than a thousand clips, yeah, or halftime speech. This yeah. would probably be a bigger issue if that actually won, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So that, that's the thing, I suppose. It it wasn't like a masterstroke in that way. It didn't change everything for them that, mm. that made them win that game. He is an interesting guy. I've dealt a little bit with him in the media. A very likable, friendly, honest, he will answer your question kind of guy. Like a lot of the South African coaches are. Like I found Peter de Villiers the same way. You know, just they just say it how they see it and they're, they're quite clever. Now, there's been something that's come out in the media in the last couple of days. Um, people might follow Squidge Rugby on, on their social media feeds. And he reckons that Rasi Erasmus, and let's say allegedly throughout this, allegedly is running a burner Twitter account where he's dropping analysis on opposition teams and the referees to try to figure out, to try to show people or guide the narrative during the week. What do you guys make of this? <laughs> well, I wouldn't have seen it if it hadn't been brought to the attention by Squidge, is it? Squidge yeah. Rugby? So... Is it really controlling the narrative? Like potentially now that it's got its way yeah. to the headline. Um, yeah. But I think we all agree there were parts of that game that were inconsistent, especially I, I must admit I watched it and, and around the advantage. 
you know, the eight second advantage to 20. But I mean, that's, it's a hard, you know, that's a referee's, you know, right to work out what's an advantage and what's not. Mm. So again, I go back to what's consistent. If they're consistent with that on the, on the day, then I don't think you can complain. But I think what they're having a go at here is there was a few inconsistencies. Um, I didn't quite see it as, um, I suppose, as bad as it was portrayed in, in the clips. Um, but I, I, I think, like rugby players, the refs will be aware of it and would have reviewed themselves anyway. I don't think this is going to yeah. put them one way or the other for the next game. You know, like they're professionals, they'll admit where they maybe got something wrong. Like it happens every game. Every mm. game we play, yeah. um, you know, there would be a, a review and, and, you know, communication between head coach and referees. Like it's never going to be, a, it's yeah. not a perfect science. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So you spend time with the referee beforehand. You have the ability to show them a little bit of video or things yep. that you, you've seen on the opposition. So you, you actually have the ability to control the referee's narrative, but maybe not the narrative in the media in the most part. You do have an influence officially on a referee. Yeah. Well, well yeah. I mean, you can put points to them, but I don't think you've got an influence. It's, it's about having, you know, yeah, you, yeah. identifying trends, making them yeah. aware of it. Yeah. And then, then you've just got to let it unfold mm. because if you keep, pestering it, yeah. if anything it'll work against I think the important thing is yeah it's obviously the coach being able to put the trends and they can send like they'll send analysis clips throughout the games that they've reviewed and said oh hey this is what we've seen this is the trends at the um, like whether it be scrum this uh, guy's binding in or something like that um, but then I think to what Jip said it's been able to put those things in and been able to man like manage that with the with the with the mm -hmm. ref because you don't want to lose the ref yeah the last thing you want to be able to think in that oh man you know he's, he's a bit of a bit of a toss i'm going to be able to you know be able to influence in another way and not be able to get those 50 50 calls but then i think it comes on to your leaders as well and have them have an understanding of like what the trends have been given from the coaches and so you're aligned and then you're delivering those messages on the run and i think good captains have a really good ability to be able to to word it right to be able to have a good understanding of what that relationship likes what their ref how he is you can have a go at him you can have probably have a conversation oh, he probably doesn't like a conversation so you've got to go in a different way so i think the conversation with like the, the captain um the leaders in that group and the coach is really important when um, talking with refs as well it's also key to identify like refs have trends mm. they might have you know six percent of their penalties come at offsides or you know, and then you can pick up trends, you know, and you don't have to bring it to the ref's attention. It's about you knowing and understanding where they naturally look at what part of the field, what part of the game they look at to, to see if you're, you're abiding by the rules. And then that's how you train and prep your week. Yeah. So you're thinking about that in a game. You're you like, to. this it's is the guy where I can crucial. get away with something. I think as, place. oh, not away from something, but as a captain, I think you have to think about trends yep. and understand the conversations you've had during the week to be able to draw on it. Yeah. In, in big moments but I don't think it's something you fixate yourself with yeah. um, and again the game's played at such such speed you're, you're reacting on instinct on game night and if you're clouding your head with all that yeah. um, I don't think any player goes in thinking I just think they go in as, a, as leaders to get a consistent yeah. performance on the night in terms of what how it's going to be adjudicated yeah. and you've got to work that out early the team that always works out, it's like scrum. You, you know if a ref's going to put up with a few collapses or they're not. And it's about you guys either find a solution to make this work, otherwise you're going to put the ref in the game. And it's about not bringing the ref into the game. It's our duty to abide by the laws and not bring refs into the game. And if we do that um, and, and stay within those ramifications while pushing the envelope, of course you've got to push the envelope and, and work it out. But the earlier you do that, I mean, the better rapport you'll have yeah. 
um, with the ref. So you're the South Africans, Bryn. Where do you push a little bit more this week in comparison to last week? Oh, I think, boy, you look at the, the 14 penalties, so I think being able to figure out what kind of um, trends that the rest saw that they were not getting away with, you know, so a lot of them were around the, around the breakdown, so um, getting a bit of understanding what the trends are the refs are seeing and why, why are you penalising us, and, and so, you know, no doubt that probably the South African coaches have seen the, the clips and sent them through and been able to have that rapport with the refs and give them understanding because get that idea and then you can deliver that to the boys hopefully at the start of the week so then you can go into trainings and be able to replicate what the rest have been delivering so um, I think obviously getting the information talking to the rest around it and then getting a clear, a clear plan around what it looks like so then you can go on the field and you can implement what the rest have said throughout the week previously. So what happens this week? Is there a bounce back? Um, oh I just think it's so tight like it, it was like, like I said before like the execution of the game plan was, you know, one half each, yeah. mm. and in the end, it was just you know more opportunities to take the three, but also the mindset to go for the try, which won the game. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we'll see a more clinical performance from both sides. Um, but I think from what I saw of the the Springboks, I think they're a chance to to bounce back it and win because they created so much and they were probably. Um, they orchestrated their own demise really rather than it being forced on them you know so those are controllables as players so they'll look at themselves review it control the controllables as they say and then probably go into this game with a, with a lot of confidence yep. um, you know and that I suppose aura of not playing since the World Cup and all that you know even though they played the SAA it wasn't really a spring I think they're in a good spot to potentially springboard um, back into contention mm. after one of the cool things about this game is that it's the same place at the same yeah. time you're mm. in the same hotel you're going to the same training ground you can look at what you did last week yep. and you can either keep it the same or change it i think the beauty around playing you know consecutive test matches against the same team is you you can figure out their trends and you know that this is going, this is the way they defend off a five man or a seven man or a scrum setup it's not really going to change so i think the familiarity of being able to play a team and have an understanding it'll be little tinkers because i don't think they're going to overly change massively around their shape and everything but i think they will find little tinks from that tinkers from that one game and that south african a game as well to be able to try and um, have a better understanding how they can manipulate and score points from that as well i think the lions as well just looking at them will will stay to true to what we've seen this whole tour is, mm. is they've got the contestable kicking game they like going to that and they'll chance their arm yeah they, they're here to play footy they're here to score points mm. and you know they might go to the corner or you know they might counter attack rather than you know just go to a, uh, a normal you know kicking game so I think it's you know that's exciting because ha knowing that and understanding that that's how they want to play one creates opportunity for South Africa but two you know, makes it entertaining in terms of what the, they can produce. Well, yeah, and I thought, like I said earlier, probably it's going to be interesting to see if they have, have that kind of same mindset as well. You know, I thought the British and Irish Lions, like I said, um, had a really good ability to play bet between the two games. They felt like they had a little lick. If they didn't get what they wanted, they used bigger. And obviously Price and Conor Murray, when he came on, to be able to implement pressure through the kicking source. So, and especially with how much um, outside um, weapons they have with Colby and Mopepe and LaRue, getting those boys in the game on the edge and being able to play a little bit more. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they try and play a little bit more and have that kind of same style of being able to have a look, have a go, and then resort back to Fafta Klerk in his kicking game with contestables and a variety of kicks. I'm fired up. Are you counting down the yeah. days? Oh, Come on. I, I, absolutely, because I think, I, I honestly think, you know, if you're your Lions, you've got nothing to lose because you're one up. Yeah. Yeah. Worst case scenario, you go one all and then you can maybe go back to conservative. But this is the game that you can really 
put it all out there and, and chance your arm and, and look for that 80 minute performance and as I say like there's going to be improvements in the spring box but there's going to be massive improvements in the cohesion mm. of, of that group if Warren Gatlin stays with that group. Yeah now let's look ahead to closer to home we've obviously got some COVID issues over in Australia um, there are states on lockdown there's been a lot of chat about getting the Aussies over here but for how long so now we know that they're going to come back over here. They're going to play a test at Eden Park. The government's likely to give them the clearance to come through in these next few days before um, the absolute bubble breaks. Then we've got a week after that. We're looking at a test match somewhere in New Zealand, whether it's Wellington, possibly on the Sunday, because Biavana's on Friday, Saturday, and let's face it, you know, that's a pretty important time. Um, it could be Auckland, it could be Hamilton or, or, or Dunedin, it could be anywhere. So. How important to how this thing works is getting a couple of games at home before going over to Australia and playing in Perth and then possibly coming home. You know, the All Blacks getting this first little bit in a competition which is kind of up in jeopardy because we don't know what is gonna happen with COVID. What, is this the most important thing that could happen in this competition that we get these two games at home? Oh, I think it's exciting for the competition because of the uncertainty uh, for the fan. More, most importantly is, is to get along to the games because you know there, there is a chance that you know there's these two games and you know you don't know what it looks like mm. going forward whether you know it's canned or it's you put into one state over there or I, I don't know there's so many things to consider so uh, I, I think that's my first point is like from a fan's point of view is, is getting people to the ground because I don't think we've seen sold out um, test matches uh, mm. this year so mm. I, I think the excitement of the Wallabies, you know, fighting hard, grit, determination, you know, series win against the French, and with a bit of spice and flavour added to some of the travelling um, squad and, and some guys coming back from injury, it, it does make for, uh, you know, an entertaining, entertaining package. And, and the same for the All Blacks is, they sort of, you know, they've they've blooded a few new guys, they've given everyone an opportunity, and now it's you know, in front of our home ground, uh, you know. Eden Park, they haven't lost that. So it sets it up, it sets the competition up, I believe, for a blockbuster start. Yep. While the Lions are still playing South Africa, so they're relevant. RG have been in Wales at Millennium Stadium, so all the other two teams are in form. Mm. I just think it's, you know, building towards what will be a great rugby championship, yes. um, you know, for this year. And, and probably, you know, you can't drop a home game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. crucial not to drop a home game. And just and on that, like the fact that, you know, we obviously get to have the opportunity to play at home to start the competition well. Um, you know, traditionally we're always hard to play at home, you know, obviously had tight test matches over the years, but, you know, playing a test match at Eden Park, which is a fortress for us, and then being able to start the competition really, really well. You know, even Australia, it's a short commute for them down here. Mm. Any time we get to play in New Zealand, it's, it's an advantage for us. So I definitely see it as an advantage for an all, for an all black team that, um, built nicely, giving guys opportunities through the young guys that they blooded in and then getting everybody to go um, to then play in the rugby championship where um, you know there's going to be a lot on the line during that as well. Is it more exciting? Is it more mystery? What is it when you know that this could change on a dime, this whole tournament? Well, you know, we've had to learn to be flexible yeah. um, since, you know, the first outbreak of COVID and I suppose it, it's, that's more your mindset is, is, you know, making it work. How can it best work for everyone involved in the game? So. Um, maybe the mystery adds to the excitement of the tournament. I think the, the form of all four teams um, is, is what's adding to the excitement for me. 
you know, seeing seeing that victory of Argentina against Wales away from home, and we've just spoken about the Springboks and death. You know, we've spoken about the Wallabies and, and their gritty performance, and if they can string a bit of balance of attack um, on the back of that sort of you know ticker sort of style mm. of play, that they, they can be a force as well. And you know, I just think the All Blacks, although they won convincingly. Um, you know, it's sometimes even when you're in opposed training sessions, it doesn't even look as slick as they looked against Tonga and, and at, at times against Fiji. So I think they are in a good place as well. And I think you know, you look at the back end of that calendar, getting the opportunity to play South Africa is, for me as a, as a viewer, I'm just thinking, what a great opportunity. You know, World Cup haven't played them since you know 2019 or 2019 was the last time we played them. Yeah. Yeah, 2019. So. Um, be able to have those two test matches in New Zealand, you know, that's just going to add spice to the competition. Hopefully, you know, we get to see a full fixture of, of competition because I think having the opportunity, we, we love playing South Africa, love seeing that side of play that we, you know, haven't seen for a while now. And so hopefully be able to play those boys at the back end of the competition. And, you know, with the good start of, of hopefully the whole, whole competition, it's going to be great to see those uh, those scenes when seeing playing against I those mean, boys. You mentioned squad depth before just for the Lions yeah. series, but I think squad depth for these teams, and I think that, you know, um, Dave Rennie's doing a great job with, mm. you know, out of box thinking that he's doing with a few of the players he's brought into the travelling, you know, squad. So I think it'll be crucial for South Africa by that time of the tournament, yeah. when they come up against each other, it's going to be really, you know, everyone's going to be excited to see that, and it's it'll be, you know, what team is, you know, they've had a lot of footy, so they both should be informed. Yeah but also who's fresh yeah. and, and who can go deep because they'll, they'll be serious test matches. Yeah. Are we missing an opportunity here? I mean, should they all just be going to one city to play in one bubble to take away all of the conjecture, to make sure that there is no risk about teams having to travel back and forth? They're all prepared for it and do it in an NBA style like they had last year where everyone's just there. And, and, you, and you know what's going to happen and they can settle in and they can really learn without having to deal with the extra issues that come along the way. I think if it was that easy, they probably would do it. You know, they found out Friday and, and have tried to work on the run um, and trying to create a, an opportunity to get the games played. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the biggest motivator is, is, you know, where's best and what's best for us to do to get these games played. And, and if that was to go to one city and one, they'd do it um, if it was able to be done. Yeah. Um, so I, there's just so many variables that come into it. It's not just about what you want, it's, yeah. it's how you work it in with, you know, governments, state governments, um, you know, what is, what's it called where they have to sit in hotels? I can't even remember. Isolation, quarantine. quarantine. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just a balancing yeah. act of, of that. And I know it's obviously going to be hard for Argentina and South Africa that they're going to be away from home. But again, for the, for the Wallabies to be able to play in Australia, you know, it's a different thing, you know, than playing in New Zealand. Um, they get the opportunity to play in front of their, hopefully with fans, you know, people play in front of their people. And it brings another dynamic in how they play. They're a different team when they play in Australia and they've got the ability to play in front of their people as well. So um, it's tough for the Argentinians and South Africans because they've got to come all this way and be able to uh, be on the side of the world. But it's definitely going to help the Wallabies as well. And especially with how they're building, with they, what Dave Rennie's building there. And um, you can really get a sense of feel that they're, they're Australian uh, rugby public fans are really behind them at the moment, so an opportunity for them to be able to play in front of their, front of their people as well. Mm. I suppose there's always a presumption that at some stage we're going to get back to normality. Uh, I mean, normality probably is now that nothing's ever going to be normal and we're going to have to be flexible, like you said. Mm. We look forward to a World Cup in a couple of years' time where it's likely that they'll just put everyone in one nation. Should we be practising that? Oh, well, as I say, I just think the people that are going to make decisions will be putting them in the best opportunity to get the games played. And, mm. and I just don't think we can go beyond that. Like, if we could practice it, maybe. But 
like we're, we're not privy to what um, restrictions there are um, in terms of getting these teams in and around and through quarantine. There's just so so much to it, and I just think, well, I personally think it would be unfair to comment. Um, from a personal point of view, I think they're doing the best that they can to get these games played. And full credit to them, I don't want to be too, no, 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 you know, too, no. too rough, they're doing what no. they can yeah, with, yeah. with what they've got. Um, over, the, over the Tasman, everyone's favourite Australian, um, although they don't want him to be an Australian, Quade Cooper, <laughs> he has come into the Wallabies squad, um, off the back of playing what for Kintetsu, alongside Will Genia over in Japan, it's an interesting call. Well, I think you know, we've talked about how much how good experience is, um, and obviously, you know, not not too sure what the injuries scenario is with James O'Connor um, and Tamura as well. Um, but I think any time you can get a player with that kind of experience and that's played a lot of caps to the Wallabies, it can only help a guy like Noel Olesier. Um, You know, obviously, he's taken the, the reins with that um, in the French series. But you know, if you can get a, we talked about him with the South Africans with Mornay Stay. Um, uh, Mornay Stay came back for the South Africans to help Hoggard and um, and that as well. So I think having a guy with that kind of experience who can who's played big matches and has a pretty good understanding um, what it looks like in big matches, it's only going to help Noah. Um, hopefully, when they're going to give him the reins. But you know, if they feel like they want to go in a different direction with experience, you've got a guy like Quay Cooper who's done a lot in that Wallabies jersey. I think he's got a massive role to play in terms of prepping the team that's going to play. Yeah. Um, and by that, I just think it's it's so underappreciated publicly, but giving someone like Quaid of his experience of understanding playing the All Blacks, what it's like you know, at Eden Park, and you know, he's been through the good and the bad. Um, the, the reins to run the All Blacks as such at training and, and do the research, watch the clips, see how they, you know, the new way they strike down the blind with, with Richie and you know, some of their line-out variation that we've spoken about, their phase play, new kicking strategies. He, he's a true professional in terms of his preparation around that, and him, him orchestrating that at training is only going to better perform, uh, prepare them to perform yeah. on the weekend. And he'll be used, I believe, as like a mentor, um, and and I suppose a, a voice of experience yeah. for for guys like Noah, James O'Connor to come back in and allow them to just focus on Australia and the way they play. And you know, he'll be taking, I suppose, the the guys that are outside of that 23 to really hone in and, and bring a level of intensity at training that is going to have them humming come Saturday and almost know what what to expect mm. before they get out there against Silver. Of course he can't orchestrate it perfectly, but he's hungry to train, he's hungry to be involved, and that to me would be a role that would just be perfectly suited for someone with his experience mm. but also his want um, to have another crack. Mm. So give us a bit of insight, Bryn. When you've got an experienced player comes into a squad like that, and you're running training. Yep. The opposition, I suppose, the guys who aren't going to be in that starting 15 or starting 23, they spend a lot of time running the opposition's shape. Yep. And so a guy like that who understands multiple kinds of shape can do that far better than having a, a young fella coming through the ranks. Well, it's a, it's a selfless act as well. You know, I look at, for example, for us, you know, a guy like Tim Bateman was huge for us. He didn't play a lot of a lot of games for us in that in our Crusaders when he was at the Crusaders. But the way that he be was be able to keep those boys accountable to keep them engaged. Most importantly, I think you know sometimes you can fall in the trap if you're not named in that 23. You can kind of um, taper off a little bit and not be as engaged and as competitive as you need to be. But you know, Timmy did a really good job around to keep those guys engaged and. So, like for us personally, um, the trainings that we had against us when it was in scenario based at the back end of the week, they broke us a lot of times due to his be able to keep the boys accountable, 
having that kind of um, leadership role would be able to help guys and being able to be selfless. So I think it's a, it's a really um, selfless act, a really selfless job, because we're all competitors. Mm. You know, we all want to play rugby, we want to be out there. So, you know, he's still competitive, still wants to be able to give to the jersey. But I think just giving in roles like that, it's just so good for young guys coming through. First and foremost, like what Jip said, the, obviously the experience of the environments he's been to Eden Park. He's played in test matches and good and bad, so giving off those experiences. But I think keeping the young guys or the guys that aren't playing in the 23 really, really accountable and keeping them focused. Yeah, purpose, giving them a purpose mm. to be able to um, come together and the 35 players that are selected there, they're all on the same goal and he can drive that from the um, reserves point of view. So have you ever gone into a game and come out the other side of it and gone, actually, if we had had some better prep from our opposition at training, we could have won this game, if they'd yeah. better understood? I, I personally think if you're looking at blaming your teammates for yeah. Thursday training, you're probably looking at the wrong mirror. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but... I think I've finished games where we've been successful and we've had a poor Thursday training because we've been put under the pump yep. mm. and it's the little sharpening of the knife that you need just to go, oh, we're not quite there yet, but hey, we've got 48 hours yep. to yep. get it right and we can make some adjustments, we can nail our captain's run and then go into the game. And, and it's almost like that group, if you're run by a guy as senior as Quaid or someone like a Timmy Bateman, it's Thursday's game day yep. and that's how they drive it. This is our game, boys. You want, if you want to be in the 23, if you want to play the All Blacks next week, this is your chance to show Dave that you want in. If you nail your role as an All Blacks player today and you prep this side for a win at Eden Park on Saturday, you are going to put yourself in a position to be selected. Yeah, I like that. That's the difference between a journalist and a rugby player. Mm. I went straight down the negative. Yeah. <laughs> you spun it in the other direction, which is the way they need to be. Yeah, yeah. The, the, we've talked about it a lot, and I think, um, Jip, you probably talked around the Blues environment, around how much they've changed around their competitive edge and being able to have the, the depth because obviously they're pushing themselves at training. You know, they want to be in that starting lineup and it builds that competition aspect. So the successful teams get that balance really, really good because I think you want to have that competitive edge and be able to, like Jip said, have that game day mentality. But at the same time, you've got to have a good balance to be able to be selfless and get to the guys in the best position they can. So it's a real marry-up of being able to have a good balance around that because you're right, you've got to have that competitive, you've got to sharpen the knife, you've got to be able to put them in as much pressure as you can, but at the same time be selfless enough and probably earlier part in the week to be able to say, oh, yeah, this is the pitch you need to see, this is what you need to see, and be able to let them feel confident with that in the first part of the week. But then when it comes to that game day, training-wise, the last training before you go out on the captain's run in um, game day, that's your time. That's yeah. your time to put your, your stake in the ground and say, look, I want to be playing. I like that term, sharpen the knife. Aaron Smith used sharpen the axe mm. in the all access, you know, mm. about making sure that you nail the things you're good at as well as the things that you're not good at. Yeah. Well, he's got a real strong forearm, so he probably likes yeah. knives. You know, we're a bit, you know, we might just need a knife fight. <laughs> we, we needle in there. He's, he's always, yeah, oh, mind you, you've got quite a good pass too. Maybe it's just Maybe me I need that needs a knife. Maybe I need an axe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of which, how's the knife sharpening going at North Harbour? It's going good. We were great. We went up to Kai Tire, um, had a lovely time up there. We went on a three, four day camp and um, had opportunity to play the boys up there so I haven't been up to Kaitai it was a great opportunity um, there's a centenary year as well for one of the clubs that we did play it in so um, we were the, we were actually the double header we were the curtain raiser before the actual club final in that area of part of Northland and so it was great to be able to connect with them we all connected as, as one team Northland, North Harbour and the two club teams and the women team as well they were all there so we had a great night to be able to um, connect and the greatest thing that I found about that is that um, they were so happy to be able to see the Northland players and North Harbour players come up to that part of the country because mm. they don't see it they don't see it a lot so um, for us it was a good uh, realization of um, a different community that we haven't had a lot of time with and um, the boys got up and had a great win so there um, it is 
I knew if they didn't win, he yeah, wouldn't yeah, be that positive. Yeah, yeah, He'd be like, right. I'm not going yeah. back. I'm not going back. <laughs> they win by 40. And the, old, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, old, the old master here is like, yeah, no, good play. He's um, even booked to stay at a hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. just waiting for the score. I was like, oh, this is nice. This is nice. Bang. There's, 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 there's the gold nugget. But obviously, yeah. we went up there to get the job done. And so um, we got that done. We've got Bay of Plenty as well going to Kati Kati as well, um, mm. a place where we haven't been. So. Um, it's great to be able to come back and um, hopefully get a result to lead into round one against Waikato nice. in, a week, in a week's time. And I'm excited about seeing the counties back in action too. <laughs> but it's really I, I think it's, it's great from the PUs. Uh, you know, we hear so much about community rugby and you know, giving back and things like this, but they're actually doing something about it mm. and, and mm. taking these preseason games to communities yeah. that just value it and appreciate it. Rather than it just being this slogan that goes round, there's some action behind these words mm. now, and I think that's really exciting for where Bunnings NPC is going. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a good tournament. We'll talk a bit more about that next week, I suppose. In the meantime, we're coming up to the second line. Steph, we're pretty excited. Once again, thank you to Bryn Hall, James Parsons. I'm Ross Carl, and that was another Aotearoa Rugby pod looking ahead to another exciting weekend of Lions football. Set the mice guy. Make sure you're watching it. It's going to be a cracker. Mm.